This morning, I'll read James 5, verse 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or with any other earth. But your yes is to be yes and your no is to be no so that you may not fall under judgment. We're getting close to the end of James. It's been quite the journey. And this morning we get to observe this part of scripture that is in a significant place of uh, a series of commands. A series of commands that came from one command telling us to draw near to God. Another one, submit to him. And the other, to flee Satan. So every text that we've seen, starting in chapter 4 to now, has been the means of us doing just that. Today is very clear. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. I think of being young and all the things that I would have to say and probably do uh, to be believed, most of the time it was my mom. She was the one who was pranked the most by me. And so if I was telling the truth, it would be, well, mom, I promise. I promise this time. I'm for real. I'm serious. I promise on, you know, this or that or anything I could think of that would have the integrity that I needed in that moment to tell the truth. So many times, so much effort. I had to put in her believing me instead of taking that effort and living my life with a trustworthy conduct. It's a convicting text. It's a text that you, you look at and you have to question, is my yes, yes, and is my no, no. This text this morning is about our integrity. James has throughout the book time and time again addressed matters pertaining to our conduct, but mainly in our speech. He starts with saying it's, it's not about saying you have faith, but do you really have faith? Faith without works is dead. He, it's not about if you say you have wisdom. But do you have wisdom? Have you asked for it? It points to the reality that we all must face and ask ourselves. If our yes isn't yes and our no isn't no, are we double minded? James has shown us an example of what it means to be double minded and why we shouldn't be. He tells us to bridle our tongues. We slow to speak. He tells us our tongues are fires that can set a forest aflame from a spark. Our tongue is a restless evil that comes from it. Quarrels, chapter four, grumbling, slander. All of these commands, he said, flee. Don't do. Today, 
Let your yes be yes and your no be no. With clarity and sharpness, there is nothing confusing about what he's asking us to do. If there's a tug in your heart, it's not because you're confused. It's because you know that there is now a response that we must have. Do we have to be a people to say, I really, really mean it this time? Or, or I promise, or, you know, I'll do that Monday. I'll wait till the beginning of the year. Or are we a people that will be straightforward and honest and say, I will do it and do it. I will not do it and not do it. What we get to look at today, not only is this command But we get to look to our God as an example of faithfulness and integrity. So first, we will look at faithfulness. The faithfulness of God. And then second, we'll look at. How do we be faithful like our God? So before I explicitly deal with. James 5.12, it's important to know why is it that we should be people that are faithful and have integrity. Peter in 1 Peter chapter 5 or chapter 1, 15 through 16 says, but like the Holy One who called you, be holy yourselves also in all of your behavior. Why? Because it is written, you shall be holy for I am holy. Friends, we are to be like our father in heaven. Our God is faithful, which means we can trust what he says. We see from his word how faithful he is. We see the things that he's faithful with. He's faithful to himself. For his glory, he's faithful to his people. And we see that by his word. He's faithful to himself. He keeps it. He's faithful to his own glory in Isaiah 48. God is speaking to his people in regard to not letting them give credit to to idols or or carven images. He says in verse nine through 11, from the sake of my name, I delay my wrath. And for my praise, I restrain it for you in order not to cut you off. Behold, I have refined you, but not as silver. I have tested you in the furnace of affliction. For my own sake, he says it again, for my own sake, I will act for how can my name be profaned and my glory I will not give to another. In another uh, text in Ephesians chapter one, Paul tells us how this triune God that we serve not only saves us, but he tells us the purpose behind every thing that God does. He's three times says this phrase to the praise of his glory. So verses five and six says in love, he referring to the father predestined us to adoption as sons through Jesus Christ to himself, according to the kind intention of his will 
to the praise of the glory of his grace, which he freely bestowed on us in the beloved. Verse 12 says to the end that we that we who were the first to hope in Christ would be to the praise of his glory. You see Christ. Then in verse 14, referring to the Holy Spirit, says as our inheritance, who is who is given as a pledge of our inheritance with a view to the redemption of God's own possession. Why? To the praise of his glory. So God, my friends, is faithful to himself and he will be glorified. Who else would he give glory to? If he is supreme, he does not look up and find anything else. He is it. We can be confident in God's integrity. Because we can read throughout history in the Bible and see all the promises that he has made. We see that there, there are some that have not come into fruition yet, but there are plenty that we can see that God calls us to remember. Over and over and over again in the Old Testament. Remember when I remember when I split the Red Sea. Remember when I got you out of exile. Remember when I brought you into the land. Remember when I fed you in the wilderness. Remember when I did this. I will not leave you time and time again. He promised Abraham a son, a lineage that will be as many as the stars in the sky or the sands on the beach. He promised a people, the Jews, an inheritance of land that they would go into. Friends, he promised the world a son who would come and not only rule, but come as a servant who would be crushed for our wrongdoing, as it says in Isaiah 53, 3 through 6. This son of God has been promised since the beginning. Starting in Genesis 3.15, God saying to the serpent, I will put enmity between you and the woman and your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise him on the heel. That's the first promise. On over to Abraham, he promises a son and then you have Isaac. <laughs> Is this the son? No, he promises another one. You have Jacob and over and over again, all the way when we get to David. We get to David and he's promised a son that will have an eternal throne. Do you mean Solomon? Will he be the one to deliver God's people? Not like that. History on and on continues moving forward with God reminding his people of his promise of a son. And the last thing we see in the Old Testament in Malachi is a curse, a promise, and silence. Did God forget? Did God forsake his people? No. No, he did not. As Matt said, we have Matthew chapter 1. We see name after name after name declaring God's faithful work throughout history to bring forth a son who now steps into the scene, breaks the silence and comes to gather his father's sheep. The son of God, Jesus Christ in the flesh is the highest testament to the faithfulness of our God. 
Never be confused when God promises he delivers. God keeps his word about his judgments. He is faithful in saving us. He promises through Paul in Romans 10, 9, that if you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Just like we can trust him in our belief, we can also trust what he says about how he will deal with unbelief. Revelations 20.15 states, If anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. Jesus says in John 15.6, If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. God is a holy judge. He will not go back on his word. His salvation and his wrath. You can assure he will accomplish. He has never said that if you are a good person. If you do everything right. If you can cross all the lines and dot the T's. Like saying it backwards. So that's so backwards. But he didn't promise that that would be your salvation. He promised you a savior. He promised you a savior that if you trust and believe that Jesus died on the cross for your sins and rose on the third day in victory, you will be saved. And that is a promise of God. Be encouraged. Take faith, uh, have faith that we've seen God's integrity by his faithfulness in his word. And now with, with that being said, we can move to our second point, which is that we want to be faithful like our God. James 5, 12. But above all, my brethren, do not swear either by heaven or by earth or, by, or with any other oath. But your yes is to be yes and your no, no, so that you may not fall under judgment. This isn't a new lesson. This isn't a new command. It actually mirrors a lesson that Jesus gives in Matthew 5, verses 33 through 37. He says, again, you have heard the ancients were told you shall not make false vows. But shall fulfill your vows to the Lord. But I say to you, make no oath at all, either by heaven. For it is the throne of God. Or by the earth, for it is the footstool of his feet. Or by Jerusalem, for it is the city of the great king. Nor shall you make an oath by your head, for you cannot make one hair white or black. You can't make an oath on stuff that's not yours. You can't make an oath from power you don't have. Jesus says, but let your statement be yes or no. Anything beyond this is evil. So we have oaths, we have vows that we're not supposed to make. 
Jesus says anything beyond yes and no is evil. One commentary, one commentator says that these oaths or vows were mostly made in situations of oppression or persecution or being accused of something and to deny one's guilt. There would be a temptation to amplify their statements with an oath. In some sense, it wasn't just any oath. It was one that calls upon God as a witness and implicates that God will punish the one swearing if they are lying. Another commentary says that they're just frequently making vows with no substance, just randomly for whatever they could do. It was like, I promise on my house that I will help your grandma tomorrow. Foolish. Absolutely useless. Jesus says that's evil. Let your yes be yes and your no, no. But this text is not about whether or not you can make an oath or not. God has made oaths. In Hebrews 6, 13 through 15, it says, For when God made a promise to Abraham, since he had no one greater by whom to swear, he swore by himself, saying, Surely I will bless you and multiply you. And thus Abraham, having patiently waited, obtained the promise. Keep reading. Why did he do that? If you're not supposed to make oaths, why did he do that? Verse 16, for people swear by something greater than themselves. And in all their disputes, an oath is final for confirmation. God was not swearing by anything greater than himself. He can't. He is the greatest. He was guaranteeing what he was promising by his namesake. Paul made vows. Jesus made vows. He truly, truly, I would say to you. So it's not about... What kind of vows or what kind of oaths you were making? The point is, do you have to make an oath for your yes to be yes and your no to be no? Being a person of integrity. Is that you? Can we, are we like our father in heaven who has integrity in Matthew's? says not to take an oath by your head because you have no authority or power or control. You're already been uh, making an oath, meaning you need to be reinforcing your own words. Why would you do that? You can't control your hair. You can't do anything. Why? Just let your yes be yes and your no be no. We should be trustworthy sources. We should not have to use oaths. It's important to see what is being stressed here. And I think you can tell by my repetition what's important here. Here's the burden of what Jesus and James are commanding. That is, as John Piper said, so utterly and deep that we should be so utterly and deeply and simply committed to telling the truth that we don't need buttresses to uphold our words. Why? We should heed the warning about falling under judgment. It's a little line, but it means a lot. We know in this life that not following God's commands have consequences. God will judge. In Exodus 20, 16, God commands us not to bear false witness. In Proverbs 12, 22, it says lying lips are an abomination to the Lord. 
But those who act faithfully are his delight. Lying is not holy. It does not represent God. His people, as his people, we should speak the truth. Like Ephesians 4, 25, Paul says, Therefore, having put away any falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Even as believers, we will be judged for our works. We will stand before God and answer for our yes not being yes and our no not being no. We should love the truth. Our Father is true. Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the light. Life. Should love it to every unbeliever that may be listening. In Revelation 21 8, it says, But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Please look to Christ. Don't hear this message and say, well, okay, I can let my yes be yes and my no be no and and skip over the Savior. Look to Christ. You have no excuse. Everyone has lied. Yeah, I know. It's kind of the point. We're all wicked. Lying is just another act. With other sins revealing your rebellion against God. You will not be able to stand before God and have anything to swear by. To prove that you are not guilty. Do not try to stand before him with your own merits. Because we are all in bondage to sin. The only ones who get this freedom are the ones who are freed by Jesus Christ. There is judgment from God. But there's also judgment from the people around us. When we do not have integrity, we give people a reason to not believe us or trust us. That when we say we'll do something, we'll do it. As believers, we are ambassadors for Christ. Paul tells us this in 2 Corinthians 5.20. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ. Be reconciled to God. Can people trust that? That's his ambassador. As his people, we want to represent Christ to the world, to people who do not believe and even other church members. When we say yes, it should be yes and no should be no, period. If our words cannot be trusted, my friends, how will they trust the gospel? It is God who has chosen through the, the foolish by using the foolishness of men to be preachers. He didn't decide to write it in the sky. He didn't decide to do some great miracle. He chose the miracle of changing his people's hearts and calling them to go and to preach. And if those words can't be trusted, what hope can be given? When we're making disciples, 
How would the people looking to you be able to receive or do spiritual good if they could not trust? When you say you are committed, are you? When you say you are going to give, do you? For as James says, but above all, this means this is very important. This isn't something that we just hide over. Oh, well, you know, sometimes I do a little bit of this and that. You know, I missed it this time, but I got you next time. Let us approach this text with earnestness and sincerity and know that this cannot be taken lightly. Vody Bauckham says, if you can't say amen, you need to say ouch. The idea here is if you can't say my yes is yes and my no is no. Acknowledge it. Admit it. Don't hide it. That's prideful. That's arrogant. Here at King Street Church, we are committed to be a pillar in support of the truth. Like every other gospel preaching church. We exist to love God and enjoy him forever. We say that we will devote ourselves to God's word and God's ways to make disciples of all nations. We have a covenant together that we have promised to do to be there for one another in ways of discipleship, in ways of of taking care of each other through, through giving and through prayers. What does it mean if we say we are going to do those things, but we don't? Have you done it? Have you prayed for a member when you said you would? Let your yes be yes and your no be no. When you think about the beauty of the church, how it comes together and it shows the world the gospel. If there are no people that do it, how will it be seen? Who can commit today and say, my yes will be yes and my no will be no. And I will be faithful to the things that God has called me to, things that I have agreed to, things that are beautiful. Does it matter? Because if we say we'll do it, but don't do it, it might not. If that's your heart, admit it. Fathers, can your children trust what you say? When you say that you will spend time with them, do you? Or do you have to say, well, hey, this time, you know, I mean it. Like I know last time there was some things going on, but this time I got you. How many broken hearts come from a child thinking I have time with daddy and There's nothing but disappointment. I will do this because I uh, with uh, and I, I put that on this. I've heard that being said so many times. I will do that when or if or but or maybe. 
Our integrity matters. How many times, husbands, will your family have to hear you say that you will all have family worship? How many times do you look your wife in the face and say, we're going to have family worship? And she doesn't even put it on a calendar or a schedule because she's not sure if you actually mean it. When we say we want gospel-centered households, do we mean it? Or do we think it will just happen? Friends, it doesn't work like that. Let your yes be yes and your no be no. Employees, bosses, can your coworkers trust you? Do you carry yourself as one who only gives half-truths or exaggerates? What will happen when it's time to proclaim the gospel to them? Oh, well, that's true, but all the other stuff, that's grace. Because it won't always be like that. We don't want to give anyone, anyone, the opportunity to have another excuse besides their unbelief. If we can't be trusted, they can say, well, I can't trust this person. They don't have to look at their sin. They don't have to look at their their faults or anything before a holy God. They can look at us and say, well, look at that. We are not to be untrustworthy. Saints, Satan is the father of lies. He's the father of lies, of lies. When our yes is not yes and our no is not no, we are not mimicking our father, but we're mimicking the evil one. Our culture, the world, it lies. They say what is evil is good and what is good is evil and commit themselves to it. We must not be a people like that. So let's do it. Let's not just say it. I'm not saying not say it. If you say it, let that be what you mean. Let us get on our knees and thank God for the work that has been done and the grace that we receive. To be able to 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 move in such a way that we can have a, a conduct of integrity. We should draw near. If it applies to you, repent for not making an effort to be committed to the mission, to your families, to your job, to your friends, to your neighbor. They don't deserve another person to, to, to not come through. You don't deserve it. If you are committed to them, they committed to you. We together committed to each other. No one should slip through the cracks. We encourage people, the people of God around us, and give a good witness to the world when we walk in integrity. Pray, draw near to the Lord that he will lead you and give you wisdom. Aspire to be one that loves the truth. When you fail, know that there is an advocate in Christ who is the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Look to him. Look to him, saints. Look to him, unbeliever. 
He is our hope. Not if we muster enough strength to actually do something. My friends, there are so many people in here and out there that have been let down by people who cannot keep their word. Betrayals, divorce, broken families, abandoned children, you name it. We have a privilege from God to these people and can say, hey, I know that this broke your heart. I know that these people let you down. I know that you've been betrayed. I know that you've been let down. But our Father in heaven will not. And when we walk in integrity, they can trust that. This is a very straightforward command. Our witness matters. Our yeses and nos matters. Let's not just make good choices, but commit those choices so that we will not fall. Commit to those choices so we do not fall under judgment. Once again, let us look to the Jesus, the founder and finisher of our faith. As I close, I once again say, look to Jesus and let your yes be yes and your no be no. He, will, he is faithful. That's without a question. Our God is faithful. He will not let us down. He will not forsake us. He will be with us. He is promised. So humble ourselves. Draw near. Submit to God and flee Satan. And just as James said, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Let's pray.